greatest sermon ever. We've been in this series for seven or eight weeks now, since the, the beginning of June, and here we're wrapping it up. We, uh, we've been doing a series of sermons on the best sermon ever, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and of course, our sermons have been oh, okay, but they don't compare at all with, with the one that Jesus gave in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But, but we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot over these past seven weeks. Uh, we've, we've learned that you are a force for good when you live for God. We've learned that followers of Jesus, they are reconciled to God, and they seek to be reconciled to other people. We've learned that Jesus calls his followers to a lifestyle of radical sexual purity. We've learned that rather than being judgmental, we're to be humble as we help ourselves and help others. That we're not supposed to love the things of this world, but to the things of God's kingdom. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will take care of the rest. We learned how to truly be happy and how to focus on the things that will bring true blessing to our lives. Now, now if you missed any of these, uh, I encourage you to go back and uh, listen to some of the sermons uh, that you missed on, on our YouTube channel uh, or on our Facebook page. You can find them there under videos. Another great resource for you uh, in, in going through the sermon series, and in fact, today you can use this resource right here while you're sitting with us or you're watching on, uh, on YouTube, uh, you can find at fcbc.life backslash notes, a place where you can actually take notes on today's sermon. And it's, it's really cool because you can take the notes, and at the very bottom you can put your email address and email those notes back to yourself for future reference as you go back and you reflect on the things that you've learned and God has spoken to you about in today's sermon. You can do that every week. It's available for you every week. So I encourage you to use those resources that are helpful in your spiritual growth. It's, it's really important that we do that. Better yet, better yet, here's another idea. Take some time to intentionally read and reread the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And it's because of this. The reason we read it and they're like, oh, I've read that, it's done. No, it's we read and reread it because the Bible is meant to be read and reread so that its wisdom and its power can work itself into our lives. The Bible is described as living and active. The Bible is described as living and active. Allow it to be alive and active in your life. By going back to these words in Matthew often, it will rock your world. Uh, it will make a change in your life as you meditate on these words of Christ. You see, Jesus came to bring a change. He was a revolutionary. He was one to bring revolution in the hearts and in the minds of people who would follow him. Now, revolution is a switch. It's a change. It's a radical difference. Jesus' words and presence brings about a change in our hearts and our minds, those who would follow him. And that leads to worldwide or cultural revolution. Instead of being loyal to a nation or a state or a family or a tribe, the life of the Christian is a life of of loyal subversion. Now, let me tease that out for you a little bit. That means that our connection to God, our connection to God 
Our citizenship in God's family supersedes our citizenship in any other connection that we have, political system, nation, whatever. It's, it ties into the, the story of, of Peter and John when they were going into the temple, right? And, and they, they healed that guy, and they did it on, in a way that kind of it was offensive to some of the, the leaders. And so they, they had to say to their leaders, we ought to obey God rather than man. It also goes back to Daniel in the Old Testament when he lived under the kingdom, under the rule of Babylon and Persia and those nations, but he drew the line when it came to submitting to ungodly practices such as idolatry. And because of this loyal subversion or obedience to a certain point, we see Christianity survive and thrive in areas, say, communist China or a socialist Europe, or in a third world dictatorship, or even a democratic republic. It's because of that ability that we can face persecution and still continue to, to grow and thrive. But persecution in the, in the church has never made the church go away. In fact, times of persecution has lead, led to it thriving and growing even more. Do you remember in your history the Roman government, um, the government that was uh, the Roman government that was in charge uh, when Jesus came on the scene, when Christianity came on the scene, the Roman Empire, arguably the greatest empire that had been on the scene in, in world history to that point, right? Well, it, it was over in like 470 something A.D. Christianity continues. It survived and thrived, and it grows even today. Now, you, you may not see it here. You may, may look around. It's like, I don't see the church growing in America. But you look in Asia. You look in Africa. You look in South America. And the church is growing. The people, the church of God, saw, survive and thrive in a world in any circumstance. And why is that? It's not because they built their life or they built their Christianity on a political system that is here today and gone tomorrow. The church survives and thrives because Christians, you and I who believe in Jesus, build our lives on a sure foundation. A sure foundation. And that's what we want to talk about today. That sure foundation. Now, just as a side, before we go into the kind of the meat of what we're going to talk about today, preaching is, is tough. I don't know if you've ever tried to do this, but it's, it's, it's a tough thing. And, and we, as a pastoral staff, we try to do everything we can to help each other succeed in preaching. We, we meet together as a team, and, and we talk about and pray about uh, to prayerfully discern what God would have us preach and, and how best to deliver the truth in God's way uh, in a way that's easy to understand and apply. So one aspect of preaching, all right, is, and it's really important, is the ending of a sermon. When you, when you finish the sermon, all right? Okay, so uh, it's called the landing, right? It's, it's kind of like when a pilot would fly an airplane, right? Okay, so, so you can, in your mind, you're, you're imagining a pilot piloting an airplane, and, and they take off, and that's the introduction, you know? That's good. You know, it's kind of introduce the sermon, right? And, and the body of the message can go really nice and smoothly, the points and the... the the, the scriptures and all that. But if you don't nail the landing, <laughs> it can be disastrous, right? So, so you want to land well. 
as, as a bridge. And we talk about that. How do we land this thing? How do we bring it in uh, so people are taking this information with you? And we're going to talk about that today because we're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is the master of the landing. <laughs> the master of the landing. Uh, let's, let's check out what he does, what he says as he lands the Sermon on the Mount. So we're at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so you with me? Yeah? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27 is where we're going to be. All right, so if you've got your copy of God's Word, you can open there. Uh, or if you'd like, we've got them, we'll have it up here on the, on the screens for you. So it says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, well, he's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Wow. <laughs> Masterful, right? Jesus has given the foundation of all Christian life through the Sermon on the Mount, and then he closes with this illustration. It's the perfect landing. First, he gave his audience a lot to think about. And then he throws this down. Now, now let's, let's do this. Let's, let's tease this out a little bit. Because I think we can pull a sermon from the landing. We can pull a sermon from, from this just little bit of Scripture because it's so rich. There's so much there. So much for us to think about. So first, Jesus puts together a really cool parable in his, in his sermon. The parable is... And you probably are familiar with this. The parable is, it's a, um, it's a fictional short story that is used, that's relatable, that is used to teach a spiritual truth. So whenever you see a parable in the scripture, it's going to be that. It's going to be relatively short. It's going to be relatable, fictional, and it's going to teach a spiritual truth. All right? So um, he, he's saying something that everybody gets. We, we in this room even get it. The, the locals, they, they probably had seen the storms come off the Sea of Galilee, right? And you, you look in the Gospels and you see that, that Jesus and his disciples experience this. They're out in the boat and they're going somewhere, they're fishing or something, right? And then a storm whips up and they all think they're going to die because the wind and the waves, right? And, and the people who lived around that area that Jesus is speaking to, they, they get it. They're like, oh, yeah, storm, man. We've experienced those. You and I have experienced some storms living in Florida, right? Just had a, a low go off the coast and start churning up a tropical depression. Hopefully it won't develop into anything else, but we, we get it. Storms. You've experienced loss in your homes and your businesses because of storms coming through uh, like that, a hurricane, tropical storm. These people got it. Jesus is relating to where they are. He relates to where we are. We get it. So the storm, if you look at the story, the storm is the same for everyone, okay? The storm is the same for everyone, verse 25, 27. 
Rain came down. Streams rose. The winds blew and beat against the house. It's exactly the same for both builders. Okay, what else is the same in the story? Anything else the same in the story? If you're thinking, okay, well, they didn't build in the same place. Okay, the same thing that happens to both builders is they both hear. All of them hear the exact same thing. Both of those builders hear the exact same thing. Jesus didn't say one to one and one to another. He said it to both of them, both those builders. They heard the same thing, but their reaction was different. The difference is very obvious. It's glaring. It says one builder chose to build on the rock. The other builder chose to build on the sand. One person, described as wise, all right, did what he was told. The other person neglected Jesus' instructions and labeled a fool by the scriptures. A fool. The one who hears and does is wise. The one who hears and doesn't is foolish. Now, if you're, you're listening to this, you're like, yeah, I can relate to that too because I'm the same way. I, I struggle with this. I struggle with hearing the word of God and doing what it says. And, and it goes back through all of humanity. All of the human race has struggled with this. Adam and Eve, our, our uh, ancestors, struggled with this. They lived in communion with God. <laughs> they, they heard his voice Clearly, they knew what was right and wrong. And the story goes that they weren't to eat. They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of every other tree in the garden, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The story of the fall of humans, the serpent comes in and told them God cannot be trusted. You can't trust God. He claimed that the forbidden fruit was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and good for, being, for uh, making you wise. They ignored God's God instruction, and God exiled them from the garden. The way of the wisdom was just to do what God said. That's it. Hear his word and obey. The way of foolishness is to ignore God's instruction and do what I want to do. And we can say all day long that we want to follow God. We can say it all day long. We can say that we're his children. But ignoring his commands and going our own way, we go the way of the fool, the way of destruction. And we know this to be true. We, we know it. If we're really honest with ourselves, how often have we gone down the path of dishonesty and disloyalty to reap a harvest of mistrust in our relationships? How often have we gone down the path of selfishness to find our relationships end in bitterness and resentment? How often have we gone down the path of anger to find that we pushed away everyone important to us? How often have we gone down the path of lust to find ourselves feeling guilty, empty, and unfulfilled? The way of the fool, ignoring Jesus' commands and following our own desires. The way of the wise, the blessings in the doing. The blessing is in the doing. Hear God's commands and do them. So the parable says they both hear the word, they both experience the same storm, and they are different that they build on different foundations. And here's another difference. They experience a different result. The house on the rock stands firm. The one on the sand fell with a great crash. Jesus promises 
the ultimate result, the ultimate result of the one who hears and does is blessing. Their house will stand. Jesus assures us the ultimate result of those who hear and does not, will, the house, that house will fall with a great crash. Let's consider first the one who hears the words of Jesus and wants to do what he says. That, maybe that's many of us here in the audience today. I know it's for me. We hear what Jesus says, and we want to. And, and we remember the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, he's talking about those who are being blessed. They share, a, they share certain characteristics. If you, want, if you want to look there, it's at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, and it's called the Beatitudes. He talks about people who are blessed. So he, he says, uh, the peacemaker. He mentions the, the meek. He mentions the poor in spirit. These characteristics are, are displayed by those described in the sermon itself. I, I think we would all say, man, those are things I want to be able to have in my life. I want to have those kind of characteristics in my life. You probably want to reflect those, those characteristics in your life today. So, so it's, we need to listen to what Jesus says and do them. But you're probably saying to me, Joe, <laughs> this is impossible. I can't do this. I can't do all those things described. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you really read the Sermon on the Mount, you'll be like, whoa, that's out of my pay grade. That stuff, I just, I just can't do. I just can't do all those things described. And I would agree with you. Just like Jesus described in one of the parables he said to uh, his disciples later on in scriptures, he says, you know what? It's easier for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. <laughs> and then the disciples are standing around, they're like, well, then who can get in? Of course, they thought the rich people were the ones who were truly blessed by God. Like, if they can't get in, who can? And Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In another place, Jesus tells his disciples that their righteousness... Their righteousness must exceed that of the religious leaders of their day. That's in Matt. That's there in the Sermon on the Mount. Must exceed the righteousness of the leaders of their day. The, the people in, in their culture, described as the scribes and the Pharisees, they lived according to the religious laws probably more than anyone. They were meticulous. So much so that when they were giving gifts to God, and that's, that's, that's an honorable, good thing to do. The Bible says give gifts to the kingdom of God, try to expand the kingdom. They would, they would not only just give of their money, you know, every so often drop a little bit in the plate. They would tithe of the plants in their garden. They, the herbs that they grew, it's like, okay, I'm going to give some of this to the work of God. I don't think about that. These guys were on it, right? But then Jesus says, even though, even though those guys left no stone unturned in the way of doing the law of Moses, Jesus said his followers, their righteousness needed to exceed that. He, they needed a greater righteousness than that. A righteousness that wasn't of their own efforts, but a righteousness from God himself. A righteousness that is from God and is by faith. Not based on mechanically following a to-do list, but by allowing God to empower us to live as Christ teaches. So the key to being blessed and doing what Christ teaches 
is to allow his righteousness to flow through us. And this happens as we walk with him daily. It happens as we allow his words to penetrate our minds and his Holy Spirit to guide our decisions. And then, then and only then, through his strength, can we do what he teaches us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. We can be blessed by doing what he says. We can be peacemakers. We can hunger and thirst for righteousness. We can be pure in heart. And it is only by his ability working through us that we can fully experience God's wisdom and be ones who build on the rock. So let's consider now those who hear the words of Jesus and they neglect what Jesus tells them to do. They, this person intentionally ignores the commands of Jesus. What does the word say about the heart of those who resist the leadership of Jesus? In the setting of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to genuine followers. It says in Matthew chapter 5 that his disciples gather around him, right? Okay, those are the people who are following. They want to hear what he had to say, right? But as you read the Gospels, you'll find this out as you read the Gospels, you'll routinely find that there were some in the crowd who were suspicious. It seemed that everywhere Jesus went, he had those who love him hung on every word, right? But there were others who looked at Jesus with jealousy, kind of looked sideways at him. They, they, some of them thought that what Jesus was teaching dishonored God. These were the ones in power. These were the ones who had religious and political power. They had influence. The Roman government, the Jewish religious leaders, um, they saw Jesus' teaching as a threat. Jesus was a threat to their influence. The Roman government and those, Jesus, and those Jewish religious leaders heard what Jesus said and ignored it. They even tried to quash it, right? They, 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 they said um, that his words were dangerous. And they wanted to kill him for what he said. They not only ignored it, they acted against it. And the very things that Jesus said would bring blessing led to his death. Those who hear these words of mine and do them, they'll be blessed. They led to his death. The, here's the irony. Jesus' death and resurrection were the path to true blessing for this world. God in his sovereignty were able to take the sinfulness of man, the murder of Jesus, and turn it into salvation for everyone who would believe. But the Romans, the, the Jews, they'd been building on the sand. Rome? We talked about earlier, fell. It's not, there's no Roman Empire anymore. Just old ruins that we see over in the old world. In AD 70, the Jewish uh, temple was destroyed. That religion, the thing that they had built their religious kind of focus on, that Jewish temple, destroyed. It didn't stand. They built on sand. Those who build their hopes and their house on anything other than the words of Jesus, that house will fall and its crash will be great. So ask, we ask ourselves, okay, where are we building our house? Are we building on the rock 
or on the sand? Where are our hopes built today? Are we, are we building on hopes? Do we believe that we need to just do what's expedient, what's advantageous to our own status and promotion, or on taking the way of the servant, the one who gives up their own way for the way of Jesus? I, I'll ask you, have you been building on sand? Have you been building on a foundation that will not last? Maybe you've built on a foundation you feel like it's, it's giving way. It's, 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 I'm about to crash. You're going through a storm right now and you feel like everything around you is falling. Or maybe, just maybe, the only storm you'll face is your own mortality. Maybe you'll live a life without much problem. This happens a lot in, in the U.S. You live a life without much problem. You're, you're insulated maybe by wealth, by the relative freedom of choice. Okay? You're, you're insulated by a society that mostly operates by the rule of law, mostly. And, and the only storm you'll ever face is that storm of the mortality that you face, the end of your life, the, the fact that your life will someday end. on this. Will your foundation stand through that storm? Will it? Jesus says that not even the storm of death can take down the house of those who believe in him. Not even the storm of death. And those who come to place, to a place of repentance of sin, of turning to Jesus and turning away from sin, placing their faith in Jesus and turning to, to live for him, following him, that, that house will stand for all eternity. Our bottom line today is the blessing is in the doing. The blessing is in the doing. That's what I encourage you. Do, do this now. If you're at a place where you're building on sand, and you need to turn to Jesus in faith and repentance and obedience, seeking his forgiveness, believing that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. If that's what you need to do, Jesus is saying, do that. Believe in me, and your house will stand. Turn away from the th the, your way of doing things. Don't wait. Place your faith in him. Turn from the path of sin and turn to Jesus in faith. Then, then, you'll be building on that sure foundation. Let me talk to those of you who, maybe you've already made that decision. You've been living for Jesus, but it's hard. It's really hard, and, and you've let things slide in your life, and you really want to get back to doing more of what Christ is calling you to do. I, I want to... I Make it very simple and, and easy by giving you a couple of things that maybe you can put into practice this week. Um, here's one. Let, let, let's think about what, what if I really prayed like Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount? What, what if I took that application and said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to pray like Jesus taught us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's in chapter 5 or 6, something in there. I think it's there. So anyway, he talks about the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. He actually shares that. I don't think we preached on the model prayer during the, the series, but it's, it's a great thing to look at. It talks about prayer and fasting. But, but you probably know it. Our Father, 
who art in heaven, you can say it with me, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that is, that's so awesome. I've got goosebumps hearing you guys pray. That's so awesome. But, 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 but maybe sometimes, maybe you've gotten into the habit of, of just praying words that, that are more kind of a rote sort of ritual thing. And I don't want to put that on you. It's like, well, if I say these magic words this week, then it'll be okay. The words need to mean something. When, when Jesus says to pray this model prayer, he's, he's giving us ideas as to how to pray. How do, how do we formulate our prayers? And so, so maybe as we pray, if you, if you may be less formal, it would be something like this. And I, I'm just going to pray and try to stick with that kind, of, that kind of outline. Father, you're awesome. Amazing beyond what I could ever imagine. Your name is precious to me. I will never downsize you or try to put you in a box. God, you're my everything. I want your will to be done in everything I do and all over this world that I live in. Help me to surrender my will to your will. Be king in my life. Be king in the lives of everyone I know. Rule, reign, take your rightful place in me. God, I ask for your provision. Help me to be happy with what I need and not covet the stuff that I don't need. Forgive me when I hurt you and others by my sin. Help my heart to be pure through the righteousness of Jesus. Help me to forgive others in the same way that you forgive me and protect me from the evil one. Help me to be strong when I face temptation. Lord, you know that I struggle with greed and selfishness and anger and pride. Help me to tap into your strength to be generous self-sacrificing, full of grace, and humble. God, you are great, and your kingdom has no end. Amen. And so, maybe that's the way you would want to pray this week. Or, or maybe, maybe you would want to take another teaching out of the scriptures that, that you find here. Maybe something like what Matt preached on a, a couple of weeks ago, where he, we talked about, don't worry about the things of this world. It says don't worry about food or clothes. Maybe you worry too much about stuff. Pagans, people who don't believe, they chase after that stuff. Don't worry about those things. God provide everything you need because he knows that you need them. And when worry begins to take hold of your mind in regards to food and clothes and other stuff, take captive those thoughts to make it obedient to Christ. Take those thoughts captive. Grapple with them. It becomes a battle of the truth of God's word versus the worries of this world. It's a battle between whether I'm going to trust God or I'm going to look to the things of this world. Instead, it says we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the promise is that all the things that we need will be provided. Maybe God will help me see the things that I worry about that aren't really the basics, the kind of the fluff, and I'm putting my energy and effort into those things that compete with God's kingdom and his righteousness. So those are, those are a couple of things that, that we can take away, that we can do as we go from So if we did this, if we took the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually lived these truths out, what would, what would happen? What would, be, what would it be like today 
What would it be like if I took these actions and took them and I lived them at my, my house, my home, among my family? What would happen if tomorrow you took those behaviors, you lived that out among the people that you work with at your place of, place of employment? I'll tell you what would happen. We would begin to see a revolution. We would begin to see a radical change. If we live this ways in our families, with our friends, at the gym, on the ball field, in the restaurant, wherever we find ourselves, I think there would be a radical revolution. This is the foundation we need to build on. The blessing is in the doing. The blessing is in the doing. Let's build on that foundation. God, we're so thankful for the truth of that song that we can build on that sure foundation that Jesus spoke about at the end of the sermon. He landed that sermon, and God, we hear those as the last words, that we're to build our lives on the foundation of your word, of your love, of all you've done for us. God, I pray that we would stop building on stuff that doesn't last. Forgive us when we've gone that path. Many of us have. We've said we want to follow you, but we've built somewhere else. Forgive us for that. Today, God, as we go and be begin to build anew on the foundation of your word, of your love, give us strength. It's hard. It's so hard to do that, to actually stay committed to that, to be faithful to that. Strengthen us as we seek to receive your blessing in the doing of your word, to build on that sure foundation. And we pray all of this in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.